You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Dr. Mary Helms is a professor of sport administration at the University of Louisville. She has been active in the Olympic and Paralympic movement since the 1996 Summer Paralympic Games in Atlanta. She has co-authored the textbook for sports management and co-edited Women as Leaders in Sport, Impact and Influence. Her other scholarly work include contributions to the Journal of Sport and Social Issues, Adaptive Physical Activity Quarterly, and more. Her main research interest is policy development in sports organizations, especially in regards to inclusion of people with disabilities and also sport and human rights. Dr. Helms was a co-contributor to Article 30.5 of the 2006 United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities and helped establish the ESPYs for Best Male and Female Athletes with a Disability. It's an honor to talk to her. So, Dr. Helms, I thought we'd start because uh, one part of your resume intrigued me, and that's that you got your PhD from Ohio State. Yes. Um, only because I have family in Ohio and wanted to go to Ohio State, but they didn't mm-hmm. offer me enough money. So I'd love to just learn uh-huh. about um, about your experience uh, there and starting there. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that I went to Ohio State is basically when I got my PhD, um, there were only a handful of programs that had uh, sport management, basically PhDs. And, uh, and they made me a good offer for a TA, uh, which funded me for three years. And, you know, that was great. So I taught while I was there. Before I became a, a sport management professor, I was actually a physical educator for 10 years. Um, and that's when I was uh, before I acquired my adult onset disability, mobility disability. Uh, so, you know, I taught I taught everything, almost everything from archery to volleyball. And I mean, almost everything in between. The only thing I didn't teach was swimming because I can't do that. They didn't give me swimming or dancing. Probably a reason for that, too. But I mean, I, I mean, archery, badminton, self-defense for women, handball, racquetball, uh, skeet shooting, trap shooting. Uh, so just a little bit of everything. Uh, but they had a really, really good program. And it was one of the uh, universities at the time, the few that was pumping out PhDs in sport management. So I knew that was where I want to go. And it had a great reputation. So I was really fortunate to uh, to get in. And my cohort was there was four of us in my mm-hmm. cohort. Uh, and that was all. So that was, you know, a pretty, um, pretty small group to be a part of. And it was, yeah, so go Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and it definitely has a good reputation, and then that program has a good reputation. Uh, what was your dissertation in? Okay, yeah, my dissertation, and, and dissertations always have titles that have a, a phrase, a colon, and another phrase, right? So that that's what it is. So mine was uh, Distributive Justice in Intercollegiate Athletics, mm-hmm. the Views of NCAA Athletic Directors and Coaches. Mm. So that was so it was basically it was uh, it was about resource allocation and about how people, athletic administrators, make decisions about what sports should get, what resources. And we focused on um, you know the three main resources in 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 sport, which are uh, facilities, people 
and money. So the, the questions uh, revolved around those and what went into people, deci- uh, you know, administrators deciding like, you know, should the ice hockey team get more than the field hockey team? And if they should, then why? Or, you know, the field hockey team, it's a women's sport. They need more because they've had less. So maybe should they get more than the, you know, than the, the basketball team or whatever it might be. And we were looking at their rationale for uh, for the decisions that they made when they allocated what were, you know, limited resources. I mean, there's more resources now. Uh, athletic departments will still, of course, say they're limited, even mm-hmm. though we're in a multi-million dollar age, mm-hmm. uh, but there still are limitations. So that's what it was. And it was uh, the first time that that, that that concept of distributive justice had never been applied in a sport uh, setting before, in a sport management setting. So it laid the groundwork actually for quite a few other studies um, of people who then took it and flew with it and looked at it in different contexts. So that's pretty cool. I got a couple of publications, out, a few publications out of it, and then worked with some colleagues later who, you know, we took it different directions. And so it was really the kind of the jumping off of my, of my publishing career, but it was in distributive justice. And, and was that your first foray? I mean, obviously, if you think about distributive justice, you think about equality. Was that your yeah. first foray into equality in sport, or were you already immersed in that space? I was already in that space. And the reason that I was is because I was a female athlete. And in the time right after Title IX mm-hmm. was passed. And so, for example, well, I could I could tell you all kinds of stories about when I was in high school. We did have our high school actually really did have a lot of uh, great sport opportunities for for girls at the time. I mean, I played four sports, so we had you know at least four, and then we also had swimming, which again I didn't do. But we you know, but you know, I had softball, volleyball, um, track, and tennis, and so we had good offerings. But then when I when I went on to college, uh, I got my undergraduate degree at the University of Notre Dame, and it had just gone co-ed. And as a matter of fact, I was only the fourth class of women to graduate. And so, you know, going to an all previously all men inst- male institution mm-hmm. where, of course, sport was in the DNA. And now here you come as female athletes, you know, that you kind of it kind of upsets the apple cart because they're not, you know, again, <laughs> just, a little bit. What, just a little bit. What do we are they just are they just going to is that going to just like destroy football because now we have to give money to the women, you know, or what is, you know, and so they and, and it was a struggle at the time because, uh, you know, athletic departments didn't know quite what to do a lot of times with, with women's sports generally, but most certainly at a previously all-male institution. Um, but, you know, to, to their credit, uh, Notre Dame is now among the leaders in, in, in Title IX and in equity, and the women's sports are extremely, extremely uh, popular. And, you know, and but I always can say it uh, when I went there, in order to be a varsity sport, you had to start as an interest group. Then you became a club sport. And then, you know, you proved your medal that you could be a varsity sport. Mm -hmm. So I actually played in the very first intercollegiate softball game that Notre Dame ever played in when it was an interest group. Hmm. So that's kind of cool. You know, and then, you know, I worked with women's basketball. I was the. Uh, with women's basketball, I was the public address announcer. Hmm. So yeah, I was, the, I was the voice of women's basketball in the arena. And you know, back then, you might get a couple hundred people, right? Yeah, maybe. You know, maybe a thousand people. That was awesome. But then to see now, for me to to watch Notre Dame on television and see them playing, you know, twenty thousand, thirty thousand fans, and that just 
it does my heart good to see. And yeah. I would love, would love to have fun with our 30,000 knives and out <laughs> and the past couple of years, it's been amazing to see the the onslaught and the the enthusiasm and infusion of of uh, you know many many more fans and many more uh, TV opportunities and all of that, that stuff and particularly in women's uh, in CWA college basketball. So yeah, and, and so I so I learned my uh, what I what I learned a lot of things at the University of Notre Dame, a lot of really good things, um, and I also but I learned how to fight, uh, and I'm not a takeoff on fighting Irish in any way, but what I'm saying is. I learned how to fight for for equality and equity early on because we had to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that became part of me. That was one of the lessons that I that I learned. And in a in a good was it always easy? No, um, it was challenging, but I learned a lot, and it instilled in me that um, that desire to want to fight for what you know they say fight for what's right you know, but mm-hmm. for equity and for equality. Um, and and then I took that beyond just the, um, you know, the avenue of women's sports now into disability sport. And Title Nine, of course, just celebrated a, a big milestone this this past year. Oh. Yes. Yeah, the fiftieth anniversary. Matter of fact, I went up to home, I went up to uh, up to home because I'm from South Bend, right next to Notre Dame. But I went up to home. They had a fiftieth anniversary where they invited like the I don't want to say pioneers. It sounds like I would have to go up there in a wagon or something. But they, but they invited those of us that were the early athletes to come back for a celebration. They called it Cheer Her Name, and it was wonderfully done. Uh, and I saw so many teammates, uh, coaches that, uh, you know, I, I don't say former teammates. You know why? Because once a teammate, always a teammate. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I saw a lot of my, a lot of my teammates and some of my coaches. Uh, my brother also teaches. He's a professor at Notre Dame. He teaches accounting. Uh, and his wife worked in IT up there as well. So I got to see them, bonus, uh, as well as, as everyone else. So it was great. It was, they did a really nice job. It was very, very well done. And I was very pleased to have been invited. And I'd love your your insights in terms of just the thought or concept of a Title IX equivalent for individuals with disabilities. Yeah. And, I, you know, um, we're not there yet. Uh, we don't really, or you know, or a uh, you know, a women's sports foundation that for people with disabilities, you know, and an organization like a Move United that acts as a magnet, you know, for um, for people who work in this space to that where people can connect. But yeah, you know, I wish we did have a a, a Title IX per se for because um, ADA isn't really that. I mean, right. ADA is ADA is about a lot of a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. um, that's that's a legal terms stuff. It's about a lot of stuff. It's about a lot of things, but it isn't just you know uh, a Title IX for us. Um, and it would be great if we if we had something like that. Um, but you know we but we don't. You know, and we get you know we get the dear colleague letter, which gives us of course advice. And but it's already looking at you know Section five hundred four and looking at ADA. So it's not creating new legislation. It's just really nudging us and reminding us of what we should ought to have been doing been doing for what 40 50 years yeah so uh, yeah and, we, and that's why i wanted to ask that question because i think yeah. i mean there are as you mentioned there are components like ada and section 504 yeah. but not you know not the full you know legitimate access you know i mean those address uh, you know accommodation and, and other things but not necessarily the right and i know you've talked about sport as a uh, human right so it really doesn't yeah. talk about the full rights to participate in sports no it, do- it doesn't 
Uh, and, you know, and of course, when we talk about rights uh, in the U.S., we sort of, um, I don't use one thing, I don't know the right word for it, Conf- conflate. We, we, anyway, we match some things together that shouldn't always be matched together. When you talk about human rights, a lot of times in the U.S., and, you know, like I ask my class, what do you, human rights? Oh, freedom of speech, you know, or freedom of religion. Those are constitutional rights. Human rights are deeper. Human rights are, you know, the right to being the right to being in a safe environment, the right to the political process, uh, the right to have clean drinking water, the, the right to have access to uh, medical care, the right to express your political opinion uh, without fear of reprisal. You know, they're they're much deeper, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, and they really are. They really do get to the core of what we are. But I get it, you know, because we when we hear rights, we think constitutional rights, because that's what we're that's what we're used to talking about here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned class. I'd love to learn a little bit about some of the courses that you teach, some of the sections that you teach at the University of Louisville. Yeah, the um, my main area is sport governance, and um, so I teach, and we have a class sport governance. Um, I'm very fortunate to be with a, a team and to be the lead author on um, the textbook, which is really the number one textbook in sport governance, uh, uh, governance and policy in sport organizations. That I just the, the fifth edition just came out. Mm. Myself and Yannick Klug, who's at University of Illinois, Sam Schmidt, who is at University of Wisconsin La Crosse, and uh, Joanne McLean, who is at the University of the Fraser Valley, which is outside of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's our that's my team right my team mm-hmm. right now on the book. <laughs> um, so uh, and and the reason that I did the book is I used to teach the class. I mean, when I was early on in, in as a professor, and people would say, "What book do you use?" And at the time, we used to put remember readings packets. You remember those? Like your professors would go make copies of things and then sell them to you. Like I'm thinking now, oh my God, copyright law. But uh, so people would say, what do you use? And I, I make a reader's packet. And eventually a couple of people just said, well, why don't you just write the book? And I said, okay. Why not? And my right. advisor at the time, Pakinathan Chelly Durai, uh, Dr. Chella, was like, I think you must do this. No. Oh, yes, sir. Then I, then I think I will. He, my, my great advisor uh, at Ohio State. Um, so, so that's the, my one uh, primary focus is uh, policy and governance. Uh, now, so that I teach that class every semester. And the other classes that I teach, I do teach international sport. And that is because of, uh, of my experience, because I have worked four Paralympic Games. I've worked one para Pan American Games. I've worked one Olympic Games. Um, and, of course, a lot of my research area is, you know, sport and human rights and disability sport has taken place or been... Uh, been rooted in international issues, not just national issues. Mm-hmm. So um, I teach that class every 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 Olympic spring. So every even spring, every Olympic year, I yeah. teach that class in the spring. And then the other class I teach is management of professional baseball, which is uh, every odd year, then every odd spring. So it, it, you know, so you get it. So it's one year is so it alternates. Year, the next year is yeah is uh, management of professional baseball. And in that class. Um, we it's that's the title, but what we really do is I really extend it across the entire baseball industry. But what we cover in there is uh, we'll cover you know, the development of, of professional baseball. You know, in, in in obviously we're talking about it came you know baseball. Baseball is America's pastime, but we didn't really create it. It came over in different forms of stick and ball games. You know, from from the people that came here by choice from Europe. Um, but so I teach about that. We teach about the formation of unions. We teach about the formation of the leagues. Um, we talk about so that so students learn about not just 
support unions, but they also learn about how do unions work. You know, mm-hmm. and they need that as well. And then I bring in uh, different areas. So I talk about uh, women in baseball, African Americans in baseball, minor league baseball, college baseball, uh, international baseball. And I have uh, I have colleagues from that are in uh, South Korea and Japan. And so I've had them on as I, I do a, a class cast. It's like a podcast, but they actually they see us and you know they and I have you know, have guests and um, it's called from the diamond to the desk and we interview people that do all these you know work in either it's I've had people from the commissioner's office ESPN you know the Blue Jays the Red Sox the Dodgers the Reds um, uh, the, where where else uh, well the Indians when they were the Indians the Guardians right now mm-hmm. um, and GMs people that are you know manage that are uh, directors of season tickets. Um, groundskeepers. I mean, it's just a bit of everything. The full so gamut, right? <laughs> yeah. So the students learn about the opportunities Yeah, in, uh, to work in baseball. So it, that's a, a hard class, but it's a fun class. It, it, it sounds like a fun class, yeah. <laughs> being a baseball fan myself. Um, yeah. and, and, and so you don't teach a, a separate class that's focused on like either disability sport or inclusion. You kind of uh, weave in those themes in your other classes, the governance class and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. In, in the governance, and I'll tell you with the governance class. Um, and so going back to when the first edition of the book came out, since we're on the fifth edition of that one, um, one of the, when I, t- they had a, I had a publisher in mind, but I told them I would only write the book under one condition. And that condition is that it would have a chapter on Paralympic sport. Mm. I said, no Paralympic chapter, no book. Mm. <laughs> and it was the first sport management book to have a chapter that featured the Paralympic Games and Paralympic sport. Um, so I wove it in that way. It's one of the units that we that we do. In uh, international sport, obviously, we learn about the Paralympic Games, but we also learn about, you know, um, other Special Olympics and other events that would be for Wounded Warriors, you know, and Invictus Games. So we learn about other uh, events that are just for people with disabilities, but then also learn about, for example, the, the Commonwealth Games, where events for people with disabilities are uh, just inc- included, right, in the regular program. So we'll, we'll learn about that. In baseball, um, because I'm also on the, the uh, I, was a, uh, I am a, one of the founding board members of uh, the Louisville Miracle League, which is baseball for mostly young people with disabilities, but we, we accept people from like six to 46, you know, whoever they want to play. <laughs> it's, it's cool. Um, so I, was, I would always have someone from uh, the Miracle League, uh, I, from the main office, as one of my guests and they, and, and we do an interview with, with, with them. So I do try to, what, here's the thing, what I try to do is, and we try to do this as a program and then I'll get to the, the sport uh, specific class in a second. Uh, what we try to do is we try to embed it into our curriculum so that it's not special. Oh, right. this is a special unit. No, right. Paralympic games, you know, have, have 3 billion eyes, uh, you know, on social media. That's not just, special that is you know that's sport for everyone that's real numbers right yeah and looking at the sponsors you know who who the uh you know international partners are just like we learned about the top program at the olympic uh with the ioc well the ipc international paralympic committee you know they have international sponsors as well so we we thread it in so that it's not just seen as special you know, um, and we also have a class that one of my colleagues teaches on diversity in sport. And it's one of the units, just like, you know, race and gender would be, you know, a unit in there. Now, a specific disability class that is actually under discussion right now. 
Mm. That is under discussion right now because I do have a doctoral student who has an interest in um, in support for people with disabilities. He's um, he's just writing his comprehensive exams. Actually, as we speak, he starts tomorrow, literally writing his comps. But um, he is he is a uh, he's a veteran, and his um, his uh, dissertation is going to be on the role of organized team sports in the rehabilitation of uh, veterans with PTSD. Mm. And so it's a niche that no one's looked at. There's, you know, obviously lots of programs and events, you know, for, for veterans and most a lot for veterans with physical disabilities. Right. But nothing that really has just focused on PTSD, which also has comorbidity with often with, you know, other physical, with physical disabilities. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, Jeff Ward is his name mm. and Jeff and I will be, we are now in discussions about, actually having a class on sport for people with disabilities. Uh, and that just came to our, uh, to the table, our, uh, with our sport management, our, we're sport administration here, but our sport administration program, um, very recently that, Hey, how about if you guys talk about, see what we can do about it. So talking is good. Start. Yeah. It sounds interesting. And, and that's why I, I asked that question because it shouldn't be an either or, I mean, it should be a yeah. both, right? I mean, I the, the benefit of a, of a, a designated class is that you can dive a lot deeper into subject matters or, but it's also critically important to, you know, infuse it as, as just uh, an, every other class, right. The inclusion part is, is important. And cause I know that I was a little worried the first time I went to the Olympic and Paralympic museum that, uh -huh. you know, I mean, my perception is, you know, I would walk in, be a lot of, a lot of Olympic stuff, and then there would be a room dedicated to yeah. the Paralympics. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, you know, how many people would walk by it and not walk in it. But I yeah. loved how they immersed both and in, in telling the story and telling the movement. So I, it's not an either, or it's a both scenario. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we're, I can say, although the title of our program is sport administration, sport management, they're the same, the same thing. Um, you know, we're talking about, these events, we're not talking about like how to play bocce or, you know, how to play sled hockey. That's, you know, that, which is important, but in a different setting, we're talking about the management side. So we're talking about the sponsorship, broadcast, finances, right. um, the legal issues and, you know, the event management. And of course, event management, you know, Paralympic games, Olympic games, whatever it is, there are some basics of event management that are standard. And yet there are others that you would have to look at in more detail. For example, um, just the very fact that you will have more spectators with disabilities who will be at the Paralympic Games. That they, you just will. And so you have to think about, all right, what do we, you know, I can remember when I worked in Vancouver um, at, the, at the Winter Games up there and I was working in the sledge hockey uh, venue. And some days I supervised the media area and other days I supervised, uh, supervised ushers in the bowl. But, you know, you would get people that would be issued a ticket and they'd come to their seat and they were, uh, say, a wheelchair user. Um, and their seat would be like four rows up. OK, so let's figure out how do we, you know, let's customer service here. How do mm -hmm. we figure this out? How do we make it work? And, and, and you know, but that wouldn't have happened if it were an event where uh, you didn't have as many people with disabilities who needed, you know, seating, um, special, you know, designated seating. So there are some, you know, and service animals and thinking about, you know, getting more service animals. So it's just, you know, it's not, it's just, it's still event management. It's oh, just, that, yeah, you just have to be mindful of some different, uh, some different needs of your spectators 
and you know uh people with autism and talking about you know with the, the sounds and the lights mm-hmm. and the noise and how do you know how do you um, make sure that you account for their uh their fan experience spectator experience uh, being as positive as possible yeah, I mean, that's a great point because we have that issue, obviously, at Movie United from time to time when we're going a, a competition or a conference because, you know, hotels have to have some accessible rooms, but they don't have 200 accessible rooms right. <laughs> often. Right. right. So it's like we have to, that type of event management often comes into play when you talk about accessibility and inclusion. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and that was one thing I have to say that was really for me that I really enjoyed about there's a lot of things I enjoyed about having that great opportunity to to be at the movie United uh, conference education conference that was just here in Louisville. Uh, but one of the things was that when typically when I go to my academic conferences, I'm the only person with a visible disability. Mm-hmm. And so you run into a lot of issues because people and they're not mean spirited. They simply don't think of it, you know, and then along comes Mary Holmes and I'm like, you know, and they're like, Oh my God, we have to rearrange the chairs. Yeah, we we do because I can't get in the door because you put chairs across the door right, and right. I can't get through with my scooter. Whereas a, a, a you know a, an able-bodied individual can just walk down the aisle, right, and walk mm-hmm. up to the front. And you know, so so but, and people are so good, but they're like, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, but so it was actually um, very nice. I, I don't know a word to say it uh, to not be the only person. To not be the only one. And I can remember one time going to an international conference um, with a colleague, Joseph Lev, who was from Israel and, and talking to him. It was before I acquired my disability. And, he, you know, he, he we were talking about this and he said, Mary, I'm so often I am the only one. He had tears in his eyes. I'm the only one. And of course, I didn't know years later that would be me. Hmm. Hmm. Isn't that how, how it goes sometimes? Um, so, you know, so people with conferences are they're getting better. And I think I've always tried to uh, have anything that would happen be a gentle learning opportunity. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> An educational opportunity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to be a, a jerk about it. I'm just going to say, <laughs> what about this? And then people, then they're like, oh, yeah. And then next time around it happens. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's again, how do you change the world? One ramp at a time, one automatic door at a time. That's how you do it. Very true. And and you you mentioned obviously that you've been involved in the Olympic and Par- Paralympic movement. How did you know, and I think since 1996, right? It was Athens or uh, Atlanta the first one that you Atlanta you was the first one, yeah, that I worked. I worked um, Atlanta in 1996, and I worked there. I was a volunteer in sports information, and mm-hmm. sports information is exactly what you think it would be the schedules and records and you know training schedules stuff like that. Uh, I worked as a volunteer there in. Uh, uh, in Salt Lake City, I worked for the International Paralympic Committee, actually, and I ran the athlete elections. And I also helped them run some of their just you know, helping them run some of their business meetings. And then I moved to Athens in 04. I took a sabbatical. I moved over there for six months uh, to work both the games. And I was the then the parent, the uh, sports information director for the sport of goalball for that Paralympiad. So I before I had where I had been just a volunteer. Now I was in charge. You know of of that you know that that sport for that uh, Paralympia. So again, I had a, a supervised a team of eight uh, volunteers from all, and I think they were from like five different countries. So it was oh, very wow. interesting international management experience mm-hmm. for me. It was a small squad, you know, but that was the was one of the smaller sports. Uh, so did that, um, but it also involved transportation. If you're the sports information director, you're also work 
like in charge of transportation. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, That's yeah, a big uh, one. Oh, yeah. Above uh, uh, just for, for goalball, but getting. getting oh, okay. The, yeah, only for goalball, but getting your teams to and from uh, the competition venue, to and from uh, the practice facilities and the village. And so mm-hmm. that, was, that was a very interesting and very complicated task. Uh, but, you know, I learned a lot from that. Uh, and then I worked. Uh, so anyway, I lived in Athens for, for six months. and That was great. Uh, and then I worked Vancouver and I worked sledge hockey and I was in venue operations. So like I mentioned before, part uh, some days I was in overseeing the what they call the mixed zone, which is the area after uh, after an event where the press and the athletes can uh, talk to each other. Because, we, you know, you know how we used to like hear reporters go into locker rooms. They don't see they don't do that at the right. Olympic and Olympic Games. They have what's this area called the mixed zone and the athletes pass uh, by where the press is. And if they choose to talk, they will. They don't need to, mm-hmm. you know. So but you got to supervise that area because you got to make sure the press, you know, print presses here abided by the rules <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly if you're a picture, moving picture you're here uh you know still picture you're here you know this country you're here and kind of keeping people in line um and then i oversaw um sometimes i was in the bowl and i oversaw teams of ushers so i every day i would have you know anywhere from 10 to 16 hmm. volunteers they were different most days um, that i would oversee so it was it was great. And then the pair of Pan Americans were in Toronto and I was at the venue that had aquatics and also seated volleyball. But out in sort of the foyer, the entranceway to the facility, which was a beautiful facility, by the way, uh, you know, did, did, built right before that event. Um, we had bacha. We had a little seated volleyball net area set up. We had wheelchairs and basketballs so that people could try different Paralympic sports and see what that was like. And then it was educational, so they could ask questions like, "Oh, what is this? You know, how does that work?" Um, and and it was really great. Um, a lot of kids got involved. You know, they would come in. Of course, kids see uh, yeah, they can do something. They just jump right in and do it, right? And then you know, we talk with the the adults that were with them and with the kids and ask them, "Hey, did you like? Was that fun? You're gonna go? What are you gonna go watch now? And talk about the games and what have you seen?" And it was really it was really a fun experience. And so I was one of the supervisors. Um, um, you know, for like I'd have either have a morning or an afternoon mm-hmm. uh, during those instances, someone else would have the other shift as a supervisor. Um, so that was great. That was great fun. And you know, it was it was it's go, anytime you go to going to Canada is always great. I love going to Canada. It's <laughs> one of my one of my favorite countries to have visited. You know. I I wanted to wrap our conversation up with uh, uh, um, obviously you uh, did a a, a a paper or book with um, Eli Wolf. Who we uh, just lost recently. I know that you you partnered with him on on a disability inclusion uh, project, and I just wanted to uh, hear your thoughts and insights on either that 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 work or working with Eli. Uh, working, you know, there's just a hole in my heart now that Eli is gone. Eli and I worked together for almost 25 years, uh, and we were never in the same place. <laughs> he was he was always in almost always he was in Boston, mm-hmm. uh, and I was at Louisville, uh, and, but. Um, we uh, we met when he was working on his senior thesis at Brown. Uh, he it always it sounds funny to say he we met online. That sounds creepy. It's not creepy. <laughs> we met online because he found me. You know that some of the work I was doing, and he was looking for people to work with. You know, in sport for people with disabilities, and he was his uh, work was in uh, soccer, uh, and that became then a uh, a friendship and a working relationship that 
lasted for the rest of his life. Um, and, and we presented together around the country, even in you know, some places around the world. We wrote and he was co-author with me on a lot of um, articles, on mm-hmm. book chapters. Uh, we did uh, blogs. We wrote blogs for like Sport, Sport and Dev, uh, Sport and Peace. There were different blogs, uh, different mm-hmm. sites that, you know, he, he uh, would typically come up with an idea. Then we'd, we'd start writing, you know, and he was a lot of times the idea person. And I was a lot of times the editing and he would come up with these great ideas. And then we, you know, massage the ideas and, and get that out there to not just academic audiences, but to practitioners as well. Um, I cannot say how uh, gifted I was to have him in my life for all those years and his wife, Sherry. and. You know, and now the two the two kids, uh, Spencer, you know, and Stella, uh, and and of course his wife you know, is a multi medal, mm-hmm. Sherry Blauet, um, and just you know, just an amazing person, and those those kids are going to be amazing too. Let me tell you, <laughs> for real. Uh, so you know, the world uh, lost. We lost. Uh, I want to say in in our world of disability sport, you know, we really lost an icon. But I lost a friend. 